Oh, good morning. How is everyone today? Oh. Happy Thanksgiving. Merry Christmas. Right? We can get them all out this Sunday. Right? <laughs> you know, there's a, a lot to be thankful for in this broken world. But just in today, you know, today we can gather. You know, we can sing. We can sing to the Lord. And then we can come together and, and look at his word and grow in him. You know, that's that's an ongoing process, right? We can we can keep on going. So as as we gather today and look at God's word, I have a question to ask. If you forgot who you were, what would happen? Uh, huh? Yeah, you kind of who am I, right? <laughs> You'd have that look, right? You know, if you woke up this morning or tomorrow morning and you know didn't know who you were, you would go a little crazy. Maybe you'd sit there a little little stunned, right? You know, a little scared. Yeah, no, no scare, okay. Free? Free, you know, they're hey, don't remember those pains and problems, but then you don't remember the growth that you had from them, right? So you'd be wondering, who am I? You'd be asking that question. You know, if we forgot our own history, we, if we had no memory, we would have what's called am amnesia, you know, which is a partial or even total loss of memory. We wouldn't know our purpose, our own meaning, and we wouldn't know our family or friends. And yeah, we wouldn't have our hurts and pains, but we wouldn't have the memories and the experiences that make us well, us. If memories fade for one person, it is hard on a family as they forget their own legacy, as they forget who visits them. But what happens if that happens to a nation? If a whole people forget who they are? If there is no national memory, no heritage that holds us together, what happens? The book of Judges would answer this question like this. In those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Israel did its own thing. Everyone was about its own, their own way of life. Uh, whether moral or amoral actions were taken, it was a means to an end. We're just going to get there. You know, it's not, it's not a good, loving, caring book. It's a book that's full of strife, full of chaos. You know, that, that quote from above sums up the entire book of Judges. It paints a crazy picture of cycle that keeps on turning. First, there is peace in the land. Then there is a turning from God because they forget God. And then God delivers them into the hands of their enemies. And then the people turn back to the Lord. And so God sends a rescuing judge to them. And then they enjoy peace in the land. The problem is the second generation always keeps on forgetting what God had done. So they don't know the Lord and they don't know their own history. That's actually in the first chapter. I totally suggest the book of Judges. It's the whole Bible is really good too. You know, but the book of Judges is showing us the slide into that forgetting. 
And we need to remember and recall to mind who the Lord is and what history can show us and who can really offer peace. Peter says this in 2 Peter, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir up in you by way of reminder, since I know that putting off of my body will be soon, as the Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. Now that's Peter's whole effort to intend to remind people. You know, throughout our lives, we need to stir up. We need to see that we make every effort for old generations to recall who the Lord is, what his peace is, and, and seriously, what history can teach us about these things. But first off, that's not an easy task because history is not old bullfrogs and butterflies. And it is not old lynchings and wickedness, but it is both full of muck and myrrh, full of brokenness and beauty. To disagree would be wrong. And to not see greatness of what it is would be foolish. Let's uh, start in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you that we can gather, that we can sing, that we can be thankful for great is your faithfulness. Lord, as we peer into your word, pierce us. Render us. Show us who we are. Help us learn from history. Help us learn from your peace. Help us learn from your character of who you are. Help us know you more and grow in you and worship you all the more and point others to who you are, Lord God. We thank you for today. We thank you for this time together and in, in your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, whether it's your, your favorite subject, mine, right, history. Anybody else like history? Woohoo! <laughs> you know, or or not, history should matter to all of us. You know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's a good movie, but it's it's true of history as well. We need to know those things because we cannot think of the world in these terms. It has always been like this. The 21st century has always been you know it's it's always been like this, but a multitude of people believe that now. We cannot see that. To infer, to infer that upon history, to think about it, to place that whole measuring rod upon history, personally, nationally, or throughout the whole world, is wrong. We need to understand where we have come from. And first, we need to look at our own personal history, our personal state. You know, the truth is, is we are all sinners. But in Christ, God offers redemption to all of us. Now, please turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 2. But 
Ephesians chapter 2, we'll read verses 4 through 10. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and, seat, and seated with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, you know, in the millennial kingdom, in the eternal age, in Christ Jesus, he can show his immeasurable riches of his grace towards in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing, but it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. Now this is humanity apart from God, dead in trespasses. But in his great love, he makes us alive. And we have an opportunity before us as the gospel is presented to choose his grace and mercy and to be saved or not. The question is where we choose to place our faith in ourselves or in Christ Jesus. Who is God's kindness towards us, towards all of humanity? You know, and even as we walk in Christ, we should never forget this, that we are redeemed sinners. Now please turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 6 through 11, Paul says this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adult, adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the revilers, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, and you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Now, those apart from God in choice and in lifestyle are unrighteous, not because of their deeds so much, but because of where they place their faith. They do not rest in the name of Jesus Christ. Their standing is about going their own way. Where the righteous is standing is not in themselves, but in Christ alone. And that is where one that has been and, and could be struggling, full of sin, hell bound, and yet they are washed. They are sanctified and justified in whose name? In Christ's name, right? They are heaven bound because of who they are resting in. Apart from God, we are all hell bound, but in God we will dwell with him in heaven forever. That is why the personal part 
matters most. What do you believe in? It's the question, right? That we would rest upon him and that no matter what our struggle, no matter what our sin, that we would believe upon him and be justified, sanctified, washed, clean. That we would know that we in Jesus are personally trusting in him for our redemption. That he washes us and that he walks with us through life. But what about us as a whole, as a nation? Where is our heritage? You know, being that I wrote and researched a lot of this on Thanksgiving week, I was like, hey, you know, why, why not? Why not go back? You know, go back to a civil order that was signed in 1620. You know, the Mayflower Compact, as it will become known later in history, but it was signed in 1620, and it states this. In the name of God, amen, whose names are underwritten, the loyal subjects of our dreaded sovereign Lord King James, by the grace of God of Great Britain, France, Ireland, King, defender of the faith, etc., having undertaken for the glory of God the advancement of the Christian faith, and the honorary of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia. Do by these present solemnly and mutually in the presence of God and one another, covenant and combined ourselves together and sit in a civil body politically. For our better ordering, preservation and furtherance, and the ends as of aforesaid and by virtue hereof enact constitute and frame such just and equal laws ordinances actions constitutions and offices for time to time as they shall be through most meet and conveniently for the general conveniently for the general good of the colony unto which we promise all due submission and ordinance and witness whereof we have under here under subscribed our names at Cape Cod in the 11th of November in the year of our reign of our sovereign Lord King James, the King of England, France, Ireland, the 18th, and Scotland, the 54th, out of nine, the year of our Lord, 1620. Now this document is a social compact influences our, our nation still today, actually. Um, John Quincy Adams said it is an inspirational fact to our Constitution, and you can actually hear some of that language in there. Yeah, the pilgrims and the Puritans came to the new world in the name of God and for the glory of God to bring the advancement of the Christian faith. These people don't really sound like persecuted Christians in their document, do they? But they are. They, 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 they are fleeing the old world to the new world because of that. Bringing together a civil body for the bettering order and preservation and furtherance. That's a cool world. A word, right? You know, a good Sunday word. <laughs> this is for the general good. 
The Mayflower Compact is a, is a picture of civil order that brought an agreement that this nation, our heritage, is, is freedom, virtue, and faith. In God we trust is still a part of at least of our bulk word in, in coins, but it, it represented and represents that our, our, what our founding documents proclaim. The Declaration of Independence says this, in Congress, July 4th, 1776, unanimous declaration of these 13 colonies, 13 United States of America, when the course of human events it becomes necessary for one peoples to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of earth the separation and equal station to which the laws of nature and the natures of gods entitled them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the cause which impels them to the separation. We hold these truths self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You probably know that stanza, right? But it goes on. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, driving their powers deriving their powers from the constant consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. The founders of this nation pointed to the truth, right? It's a self-evident truth. That's what's said. That men had inalienable rights. They said that it is the government's job by the consent of the governed to secure these rights. And if governments become destructive to those means, it's the people's job to alter or abolish. The revolution of 1776 declared that separation was the answer for the tyranny that was amongst them and being put on them. So they organized and instituted a new government, which leads us to just the preamble. We'll just, we won't go any further than that, but the preamble of our Constitution. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, perform, promote the general war, welfare, secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and to our prosperity, future generations, do ordain and establish this Constitution of the United States of America. The founders didn't just do this for themselves but were for all generations, we, the people, would be about a more perfect union to establish justice, to have tranquility, to secure the blessings of liberty. I like that. I like it all. That is why we need checks and balances because we understood, at least we did, that people with enough power would do anything to stay in power. 
they understood very much that people were sinful. So we needed freedom, virtue, and faith in ourselves and in our government. Just like the branches of government to check and balance one another, our freedoms are not licentiousness, which is a big old word for freedom to sin, freedom to do whatever you want, but a freedom to have virtue and have choice within that virtue, a choice of faith, which brings us to self-governance. Now, these documents are a huge turning point in the whole history of the world, and there are many more that I was kind of going, I'm like, oh, yeah, share everything. No, we'll stick with three. <laughs> and I would love to talk about all of them, but maybe for another time. But right here, we can and should see our heritage, our dream for a more perfect union. And it's not built in a day, and it's not without setbacks or struggles. But if we lose it all, if we lose our heritage, if we jettison it, what becomes of us? Let us not think that the dream would somehow live on. No, it will die and wholesale be replaced by something else. I thought about this for a little bit and I thought, you know, the crazy amazing thing right now is that we have people that are actually representatives of our nation that want to do away with that dream. And yet without it, they would not be where they are at all. And I would like to see them to get away with it in any other nation, especially a non-Western nation. Yeah, I don't, I don't mean for this sermon to be political, but as politics are defined, the governance of a country, it's not an unbiblical issue to, to talk about. It is a great issue that we need to fix on, but not just totally fix on, right? We talked about that in Sunday school, actually. That's like, they're taken from our sermon notes. <laughs> but... But in our context, we have, you know, we have seen that there's probably going to be change. There's probably even going to be more change. But there is a grander truth, a bigger dream and a deeper peace that we can always hold on to. You know, in conversations that I've had throughout these subjects throughout the years, I've, you know, I've, I've said it and I've even worked on it a little bit more on the sermon saying this, you know, documents given by great men can sadly be taken away from us by asleep men, unwise men, or even malicious men. The premise and the base of that that I started with years ago is that they have been given by men so they can be taken away by men. Another way to see that is that history has shown us, even from judges, that one generation can bring change and two generations from something will forget what has wholeheartedly happened. Ecclesiastes talks about the subject uh, saying this, so I saw that there was, is nothing better for a man that he should rejoice in his work for it is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? And we can only be about our day, right? We can't change the past as much as we would like to, but we can change what is going on in the here and now. We can be resolved to an end, but what end? You know, we can't rest our hopes, our whole hopes and documents given by men because no matter how high the ideal, one day, one age without freedom, virtue and faith can change everything. And as we've seen, has fundamentally changed everything. So we are in a struggle 
we are in an era of struggle where we see polarization, we see rage, we see hate. Each side wanting their version of what is to be come about or not. So where is the church to be? And we can and should be about a bigger picture of peace. We can hold out to others a stronghold and hold to ourselves a stronghold that is never ending because our Lord, the Lord of hosts, stands throughout the ages. Now please turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 46. The psalmist says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, I will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved to the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Shilah. Stop and wait. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Shalom. Stop. Wait. Come. Behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still. Know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Shalom. Stop and wait. God is the refuge. He is strong beyond all measure, and he is near to us. He is our help in old times, good, bad, or ugly. He is there. So we are not to fear what is happening or what is going to happen, even if the doomsday people are right and the earth gives way and the mountains fall and the floods rage and raise. It says, look here, there is a river, a stream that makes glad the city of God. There is a holy dwelling where the Lord is, where the Holy One is in the midst of the city, and it will not be moved. God is our help. As the nations rage, as the kingdoms fall, God, the God of Jacob, is a fortress to be trusted, for he alone is trustworthy. So let us behold him, because he alone will bring peace. All the weapons of war will be gone. Therefore be still and know that he alone is the Lord of all. He will be esteemed above all the nations, above the whole world. So let us rest in finding our strength in him. It's very much seen in Paul's writings as well. You know, the church in Philippi was given this letter from a man in prison. 
And yet, as he says in chapter four, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, whether you are in the palace or whether you are in the prison, you can rejoice in the Lord. No matter your circumstances, we can rejoice. And then in that, let our need... Let our reasonableness be known. That our faith is not a, a leap into the dark. It's not a blind faith. No, it is a leap into reason, reality, promise, and purpose, and the very character of God. And we are to know this, that the Lord is at hand, that he is coming soon. We live in light of that. So in all of that truth, we are to not be anxious about anything. No, instead, we lift it up in prayer we can bring our worries to God for he is almighty and nothing is too great for him and then Paul goes on letting the peace of God come around us letting the peace of God guard us to guard our hearts and minds as we fix upon him as we fix upon what is honorable just pure lovely true commendable and worthy of praise and has excellence you know, I really thought about that, and it is really about a reaping what you sow, really getting what you put in. You know, that's how our mindset works. And we so we learn from the models before us. And Paul, you know, states even right here, you know, we can learn from him how to really rejoice in the Lord, how to be content that no matter our circumstances, as you know, this man writes this letter from prison, we can rejoice because it is Jesus Christ that strengthens us. You know, this gives us an unending well to draw from hope, peace, and understanding that God grants his people so much in any nation or any circumstance among any people or person. I think, you know, some of these subjects are hard because in our context, we want peace. We all crave it. 
We all want peace in our day, safety in our time, so we cling to it and we work for it, for it to come about. Our version of peace, our version of life, our version of meaning. But what if those don't come about? What if they don't happen right now? You know, from whatever side of the issue of today we find ourselves on, let us look at this. Please turn in your Bibles with me to 1 John. 1 John chapter 2. John writes this. <clears throat> Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now let us not cling to the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world, you know, money, clothes, etc. Let us not have our hope here, but in the eternal things, because God abides forever. Let us not just be about ourselves, but to deny ourselves, pick up our cross and follow Jesus. And be sure of this, the world is surely passing away. And along with it, every ism, movement, nation, and party will pass away. So let us lay up our treasure in heaven. And no matter where we live, no matter what estate we live in, this is paramount. Because hell will not overcome the church. Because Jesus Christ builds it. But nations and people will and can be overcome. They themselves can and will redefine things, misunderstand things, and misuse things given. So peace cannot and should not come from the earth, but it comes from one alone, from heaven. Now, history is full of turning points, full of defeats, full of great victories. In this, humanity as a whole seeks for peace, struggles for meaning, moving the technology needle to save lives, to bring about movements to move forward or to sink back into what we have overcome. But what humanity gets wrong again and again is that they don't seek God. Isaiah says this, all we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We have all gone our own way. Thinking this or that or the other will lead to life. But it is only the Lord and the one that he has laid our iniquities upon that we find our hope and stay in Christ. So let us stop seeking our own way and trust him. That is the starting point to rest in God because he is the starting point Creation is here because a creator made it. Morals are 
morals and ethics are not from any given culture, but are from his very character revealed in the law and set upon the very hearts of men. Now, morality is not from you or me. Morality is from the law giver. And truth and reality are from him as well, because he is the one that ordered all of creation. All of creation is full of cycles, full of ecosystems and systems. Those aren't from us, but are from the Almighty, who made the heavens and earth by the breath of his mouth. And from this, we can enjoy it. We can see it. And better yet, we can see him because it points to him, because it is not from chance. There is intelligence behind it all. There is a God who has created, who does uphold it, who does interact with the affairs of men. Uh, please turn your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, 18 through 23 Paul says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, whom by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For in his, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, exchanging the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. This is why. This is why the wrath of God is revealed because the ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth that what can be known about God is plain to all. We can see his eternal power and his divine nature in the things that have been made. So men are without excuse because no one has honored him as God no one has given thanks to him. Instead, claiming to be wise, they became fools by worshiping other things, mortal men, birds, animals, and even creeping things. And we have absolute truth right here. We have objective reality in front of us. So we need to be a people of absolute truth. We cannot or should not give in to relativism which denies the very objective truth and reality we see before us. Because no people can live without truth, just as much as they could live without oxygen. They cannot live without truth. And we need to come and see and to know our history, to know our heritage, and the common values and virtue and the God that brings us life and freedom in Christ Jesus alone. This is what is needed and necessary and noble we need to know our estate. We need to know that we are sinners doomed to hell. We need to know that in Christ, all, all can be set free. And we need to know that in Christ, no matter our standing here, we are all united in him as one. 
This is the hope in all of history that we, all of humanity, can have peace in God through Jesus Christ. Now please turn in your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 8. Paul states this in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But whatever you struggle with, whatever your darkest sin is, whatever it is you don't let other people know, it's forgiven. It can be forgiven. Christ has paid it all. Those are not empty words, but words full of hope. So much hope. There is now no condemnation, no disapproval, no damnation in Christ. Which doesn't make a way for us to sin all the more. Paul dealt with that in chapter 6. But it makes a way for us to live in light of our new creation in Christ. Much of which is about denying ourselves, picking up our cross, and following Jesus the Messiah who has come down to seek and save the lost. And today we, we see that history is made by him. Peace comes only through him because he alone is the Lord God who we need to come to. Now this means very much we need to learn from history. We need to seek peace from the source of peace, from the source of life. And it means that our, our life is not you know, built on morals, reality, and documents unless they find their source in him. In the Lord who is the source of morality, character, and reality. He is the source of all of those things. He built them. So how do we apply this to today? First, we understand history. It's not just dates and wars. Those, those dates are fun, but you know, just they're markers. They're, they're like mile markers. Those matter too, right? <laughs> yeah. But markers and dates matter. History is a movement of ideas, of the clash of isms, of the rage of different worldviews. And we need to understand it because just like not knowing who we are, we could be very personally misled, very nationally misled, very much even as a church community misled. And all of this would come to a, derail, a derailment, a disillusionment, a destruction of us, whether personally, nationally, relationally, spiritually. And as we look for peace, we look at the cost and we ask, is it from here or is it not of this world? Is it of Jesus? As I was looking around at different documents, I, I really wanted to share a quote, a great quote that I found that says this. I have a dream that my four little children would one day live in a nation where they would not be judged by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama with its vicious racist with its governor having lips dripping with words of imposition and nullification, 
One day, right there in Alabama, little black boys and little black girls would be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters, brothers. I have a dream. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted and every hill and mountain shall be made low and the rough places made plain and the crooked places will be made straight and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed to all flesh shall see it together. Now, a lot of people know who Martin Luther King Jr. is, but a lot of people don't know that he's actually a preacher from Alabama. Now, he had a dream, not a woke dream, but a dream that came from the forgiveness of the Lord, that though there was hatred, though there was nullification and, and all of these people against that the dream was there not because it was based on riots or burning the system down but because it was based on the Lord and what the founders proclaimed we hold these truths self-evident that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights that speech from King and that pen from Jefferson both pointed to truth outside of themselves to the Lord, that by him a civil order, which the pilgrims and the Protestants, oh, the pilgrims and the Puritans pointed to in the Mayflower Compact, would be the good for all people because of truth, love, and forgiveness. The dream is for all, King said. And in that speech as well, he, he says this, I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners would be able to sit down at the table of brotherhood. There is no one, no movement, no ism, no cancel culture, no post-truth or post-modern feeling that will just get you there. No, it is the one the only Lord God Almighty that can melt hearts, raise strongholds, and break the stone hearts among men so they can sit at the table of brotherhood. So in this, we need to know our history. We need to find peace in the Lord. And we are to be still and know that he is God, that all of history, he in fact has a plan and a purpose, and his Messiah is working all things together for good. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father God, we, we thank you. We thank you for today. We thank you that we can give thanksgiving. We thank you that we can know our history, we can know personally who we are, we can know nationally who we are we can see that you alone hold out peace that by your forgiveness all all can come to the table of brotherhood all can come to the table of the Lord and be forgiven because of what your son did upon the cross Father, we just thank you for 
everything. We thank you for the wonderful bounty downstairs for all of the people that put it together. Lord, we thank you for your word, for your truth. I just praise you. I just pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.